Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Cade, and I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Beth. And here at No Limits, we are on a mission of making a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, and we want to help people find freedom, and we want to help people discover purpose. In other words, we want to help you live the life that God planned for you before you were even born. But get this, it's a journey, and you can't do it alone, and that's why we meet every Sunday, to encourage each other along this journey and help each other along this journey. And the goal we're reaching for is actually found in our core scripture, Ephesians 3.20, which says, y'all could probably say this for me, all glory to God, because he's able through his mighty power working within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's good stuff. So that's why we're called No Limits Church. So go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, it's time to take limits off. It is time. It's time. We got to keep reminding ourselves of that because before you know it, you put them limits right back on you. Got to take them off. Well, I'm not the one delivering the message today. It's actually our amazing small groups director, Chris Wills. Chris has been serving our church for a long time now. I don't know how many years it's been to you. 200 years. And if you spent just a little bit of time with him, you know how passionate he is about Jesus and sharing the gospel. This guy is on fire. And Chris, it's truly an honor to have you as part of the team here at No Limits Church. I'm really excited for your message today. So go ahead and come on up here. I'm going to pray for you while you come up. Well, Lord, we thank you so much for Chris and the message that he's bringing us today. We ask you to speak through him, uh, through your Holy Spirit, and we're excited. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Awesome. Well, like Kate said, I am Chris Wills, and I am the small groups director here at No Limits, which reminds me, small groups open back up today. Amen. So if you didn't sign up for your small group yet, don't forget to go online, check it out, or you can check, get Gina and I after church, and one of us will get you figured out what group you're best fit in and get you signed up. Amen. Amen. Well, as always, I have family that's come in to see me to speak today, and I would just like to say congratulations to the newlyweds that are in the house today. Mike and Virginia got married Friday, I believe it was. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm excited to be here today because I'm just always excited to be here. But uh, who's liking this hot weather, though? People like that hot weather? Yeah, I don't like it either. Like, where's spring? I mean... It's not summer yet. Come on. But anyway, at least it's nice. We're, the rain has kind of stopped. But uh, Oh, I need to tell you real quick, too. If you're part of the hospitality team, my wife is the hospitality director, and she has a handout for you. So if you could just please see her after church, she has something for you. So I am excited to kick off the summer series today. Uh, this is always a fun series because you just get to pick what you want to talk about. And... <laughs> But as I prayed on what to speak about, I kept coming back to one thing, and that was Christianity and American history. And uh, to be honest, it's been super exhausting, (laughs) because usually when I put together a message, my source of reference is the Bible. The infallible Word of God, you don't have to double-check anything. You got it. Thank you. How's this? on? Oh, man. There we go. (laughs) So, yeah, with the Word of God, you don't, have to, you don't have to double-check anything. You don't have to make sure what it says is right, because we know it is the infallible Word of God. So something I'd, when you have to double-check everything that you're looking up and, and verify with the different resources, it just wears you out. But I did that for you, but go ahead and 
relook at everything I tell you because that's just good to do. So this is something I have been interested in because I feel like God's been putting it on, on my heart. And uh, I would like to show you what I've found alongside God's Word. Because, again, I'm, no, by, I'm by far not like a, a history expert. I just feel like God put that on my heart and I have been researching it. And, and it's important that we look at, alongside of God's Word because God's Word is love and it is peace. And that is something that we could really use right now in America. So do I have any history buffs in here, though? People like history? Yeah, a lot of people love history. Well, whether you are or not, I really do hope you enjoy learning about our history. Uh, because here's the deal. We are at a unique time in history. We are at a unique time in our American history. And, uh, and I believe that each and every one of us has been called here for such a time as this. Amen? So I've been listening to people like uh, Lance Wallnow and uh, Mario Murillo and a few other prophets of God. And these people, their, their beliefs line up with our church, and they, their core values line up with ours here at No Limits. And these people have been saying like the same thing, that it is time for the ecclesia or the church to wake up and bring Christ back to American culture. Because yes. multiple prophets have received the same word uh, that it would be the first time that we would ever actually not just celebrate Passover, but we would actually experience Passover and we actually did that when we were quarantined. And then it wouldn't just be the first time that we would celebrate Pentecost, but we would actually uh, experience Pentecost, which I believe we did last Sunday. And there's just this new refreshing outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is empowering us because I believe God is starting to mobilize his army. Amen? So he's telling us it's time to wake up and step into his plans because we need to step into his plans not only for us individually, but as a nation as well. And so that's why I believe he's telling us to go back to our roots. Look at our roots as a nation. Because uh, the Christian community has a tendency to fight for souls and our, our, our nation as a whole. And uh, don't misunderstand me because fighting for souls is why we do what we do. Uh, but by focusing only on the individual, it causes us to miss a bigger part of the picture. And therefore, we lose the ability to reach even more people. And in this process, we step out of popular culture, we step out of government, and we lose our nation. And then in turn, the souls we are fighting for are lost because they are drowned out by the world. So now, focusing on individuals is important because that's how we create disciples. Uh, but let's look at the Great Commission, actually, because that's where we are told to create disciples. It says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Amen. And then in Psalms 2, it says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and to the ends of the earth for your possession. And this was the Father God speaking to Jesus. Jesus' inheritance is the nations. Amen. So why is history important in fighting for our nation? Because we were once... Uh, well, I considered a Christian nation, and we still are in the sense that we are founded on Christian principles, but in our actions as a whole, I'm not sure if we still are, just because we need to ask ourselves what the founding fathers and what God would say about our current laws on issues such as like abortion and, and marriage and just other moral issues that we no longer have a say in. Because this stuff is nothing new in world history, and, uh, and actually it's not even new in American history. These same problems rose up in early America. 
And that's why I think it's so important to know where we came from. Because I kind of always had the thought of, yeah, the founding fathers were Christian, and so obviously they would have put some of their Christian fundamentals in our government. Um, you know, that's why we have, in God we trust on our money. That's why we take an oath and put our hand on the Bible. But I always felt like, for the most part, that a government was kind of meant to be separated and independent from religion, which I know we all probably had our different ideals and we think differently, but that's just kind of what I thought was supposed to happen. So with this mindset, if we want to get involved in government, then we're fighting like a new fight. You know, we're trying to bring our Christianity and, and put it into the government, and it's just a different angle from what we, you can fight when you know the truth. And, and the truth is, well, let me say this real quick. This is why I believe uh, it's important to know our history, because God knows how quickly that we forget as man. Man forgets. And that's why he would command them to have feasts and stuff, just like the Passover, because he said, just... He said, uh, remember the Passover every year. So as soon as they were free from Egypt, Moses said this. He said, you know what, Pat, celebrate this Passover every year. Remember the time when God brought you into the land flowing with milk and honey. He said, remember that he brought you out of captivity. And you know, during this festival, they were only supposed to eat unleavened bread. So, you know, even their yeast wasn't working, right? Like they weren't supposed to do anything. And this was to remember a very important part of their history, and uh, so they could remember what God done for them. And we can read this in Exodus 13, 8 through 10. And it says, You shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be a sign to you in your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. God didn't want them to forget what he had done for them. It wasn't his plan for them to roam in the wilderness for 40 years. So it's important to remember where we came from, because if we don't, we won't know where we are going. So when I began to study American history, I was seriously amazed at how the country was literally founded on the Bible. Uh, It's actually astonishing how far we've strayed from our roots as a nation, because most of everything I learned, there's a, a father and son duo named David and Tim Barton, and they have spent like their life uh, researching American history. And uh, even though I trust the research, I have separately researched most like everything they have taught, again, is really exhausting. But I have yet to find anything that they were wrong about or that they even tried to portray in a false light. Like everything they said was true. And that, they'll give you the truth on the bad parts of American history. They are uh, this a very powerful people. I think their website is called wallbuilders.org. So if you need more information on that type of stuff, it's a really good uh, resource. Because it has only been within like the last 50 years or so that we have been told to compartmentalize our faith, right? We are trained to believe that the church stays over here, but needs to stay out of government, education, business, entertainment, and media. When in fact, uh, that's not what all we used to believe as a nation, and that's not what the Bible teaches. For the Bible teaches us in Psalms, it says, The earth is the Lord in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Everything belongs to God. Amen. In fact, Teddy Roosevelt once said, the teachings of the Bible are so interwoven and entwined with our whole civic and social life that it would be literally impossible for us to figure ourselves what life would would be if these teachings were removed. He said America would not be America if we removed the Bible from America. We used to believe this. In fact, that God and his word belonged in every part of society, not just the church. 
Uh, and that's what researchers David and Tim Barton actually found out. They found out that evidence shows that the founding fathers believed this and that they tried to draft it into all of our historical documents to protect it. And in the principles of the Declaration of Independence are directly from the Bible. You know, it talks about how all men are created equal and have God-given unalienable rights, right? The men who wrote it, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, all these people that wrote the Declaration uh, said they were inspired by John Locke in his book, The Two Treatises of Government. And this book was written as a rebuttal against an argument for the divine right of kings, because uh, they said that there was an argument that the divine right of kings was outlined in the Bible, because God has always established kings. Well, if you read the Bible, that's not really true, right? <laughs> Saul, I mean, Saul was the first king, and he was appointed only because the Israelites wouldn't quit asking for a king, right? <laughs> God wanted to be the king of Israel. He wanted to just set people up as like judges. And Samuel the prophet even told me, he said, that's a horrible idea. You don't want a king. He said, they're going to take your daughters. They're going to make them work in the palace. They're going to take your sons, and they're going to turn them into armies. They're going to work your fields. And by the way, they're going to take your fields. And the people said, we don't care. We want a king. So God said, okay, I'll give you a king. And that's where that came from. So that's really a poor argument. So this book was written in, uh, by John Locke, and it, and it was not only inspired uh, what inspired the Declaration, but it's what they used to write the Declaration. There are over 1,500 references to the Bible in this book, and it shows the application of the Bible in government. It shows how God did not initiate the divine right of kings, but instead gave responsibility to man to rule over himself, his family, and to set up what we would basically consider a democratic republic like we have now. That's why our, our system is the way it is. And it's interesting how heavily influenced that these men were by the Bible, yet they didn't attempt to establish a theocracy because that is the main argument given today. And a theocracy is just where priests uh, kind of rule in the name of God over your, over your nation. And, but they didn't try to do that, and these guys were heavily rooted in the Bible, so that's a poor argument. But that's what they try to use today when you try to bring Christianity into government. And uh, so here's the background on how we have formed the republic. And it was when the first settlers came to America... Uh, at this point in time in history, monarchs like ruled the world. That was just the system of government. That's how it worked. And most of them were actually fleeing religious persecution as they came here. And then it was John Robbins, who was a pastor of the pilgrims. And he told the pilgrims that America should not have different classes of people. There shouldn't be like royalty. There shouldn't be peasants. You know, we're not going to have different classes here. It's going to be different. Uh, and this was unheard of at the time. And he said, there shouldn't be a queen, there shouldn't be a queen. In fact, we should elect people from uh, commoners just out from amongst the people. And honestly, this is something we've even forgotten because we elect lifelong politicians. They're no longer commoners. They've been, that, their whole job is, how do I get elected? That's all they've done. So it's, they're not commoners anymore. But then John Robbins taught from the book of Exodus 18.21, and he said, Moreover, you shall select from the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Amen. We should still teach this today, because this was Moses' father-in-law telling Moses how to govern his people. But notice how the only qualifier he says to choose leaders is, are they men of integrity? Are they men who love God? Because these are way more important than experience or education. So our form of government isn't secular, it's biblical. 
And there is a book called The Origins of American Constitutionalism. And this book goes over the finding of multiple professors who got together just to figure out what influenced our founding fathers. So they went through like 15,000 writings, and they were just looking for quotes and citations. And they discovered that most of the most quoted resource or uh, the most quoted source was the Bible. 34% of all quotes came from the Bible from our founding fathers. America was built on the principles of the Word of God. And there are a ton of quotes from past presidents that have knowledge just, but I don't have time to give you them all, but here are a few. You know, Reagan said, if we ever forget we are one nation under God, then we'll be a nation gone under. Mm. FDR said, we cannot read history of the rise and development as a nation without reckoning with the place the Bible has occupied in shaping the advances of the republic where we have been the truest and most consistent as obeying its precepts. We have attained the greatest measure of contentment and prosperity. Why? Because of the Bible. Amen? So, in fact, every president has acknowledged that we are a Christian nation founded on Christian principles, except one. You can figure it out on your own, because my goal here today is to show you that America was founded on Christian principles by a people who trusted God. Okay, well, what about separation of church and state. It's hard to argue that one, right? Because it's pretty, pretty clear. But what is wild is I've actually heard this through my whole life, and the term separation of church and state is found nowhere in our Constitution. It's not in the Declaration. In fact, it's not in any historical writing. That term is, was not there. It is derived from the First Amendment, which says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. This was created to keep government out of the church, right? Not to keep God and Christianity out of the government. Totally misconstrued. But do you know that the Bible actually teaches the institutional separation of church and state? God made family, he made church, and he made government, and he separated them all, but he is involved in all of them. Amen? So God created the separation, the same separation that our founding fathers implemented. He did this when he put Moses over the law and government, and he put Aaron over the temple, which would be the church today. He separated the two institutions, yet they were both instructed and guided by God. That's the most important part. So even though they were separate, nothing was secular. So let's take a look at King Uzziah. This is in Second Chronicles 26. And it's a fairly short chapter, but it talks about how King Uzziah did right in God's sight. Like, he did good things, and God blessed him. He won many wars. He built towers and walls, and he did all sorts of crazy, awesome stuff. Stuff was going great until he decided, you know what? I'm going to go into the temple, and I'm going to burn incense, which was a, <laughs> breaking that separation. So here's Second Chronicles 26, 16. But when he was strong in his heart, was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. He thought he could take the job of a priest. He broke that boundary God had placed, and the priest stopped him, but God actually struck him with leprosy, and basically that was the end of his kingship. And that's actually what kind of happened to the first, Saul, or the first king, King Saul. God said, I would have established your kingdom forever, but what Saul did was is he tried to burn an offering to God when that was not his place. So we wouldn't have King David if Saul would, wouldn't have done that. So about, about the first 300 years of Christianity was, was known as like the purity 
age, and that was just because we kind of understood this the separation. It lasted until Constantine came around, and he basically he tried to force Christianity on people. It's kind of where it all started, uh, kind of state-run religion type of thing, and that's when things started to change at that point. And then for the next 12 centuries, kings started to determine theology. And that brings us all the way up to King Henry VIII. He was a part of the Catholic Church, and uh, he, he got to the point, he was mad at his wife because she wouldn't give him a son. And we all know, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? Because the man's responsible for the sex of a baby. Anyway, uh, so he gets mad. He goes to the Pope, and he's like, hey, I want a divorce. And the Pope's like, we don't do divorce. Sorry, you can't get one. And he's like, well, maybe I'm not Catholic then. How's that sound? So he just leaves the Catholic Church, starts his own new church, just the Anglican Church, and the only difference, it's basically Catholicism, except, you know, they grant divorce. So, <laughs> but he got used to this, and he started making, he started changing other things. So this is when it became popular for, like, a, a king to change religion. Uh so he started changing other things, and it got to the point where, like, you couldn't even mention the name of Jesus in public unless you had permission from the king in England, or you'd be thrown in jail. That's just where it finally rolled down to as kings started to, to change state-run religions. And so when the settlers of America came here, they're like, well, we have to reestablish the separation, the institutions of church and government, because that is ridiculous. So the government cannot tell the church or the people what to do, but each is still guided by God, right? Just separate. Yet the First Amendment that we just read is the amendment that they used for basis of removing public prayer from school. So now if you still aren't convinced that this was the founders' intentions, let me ask you a question. Do you know when, and more importantly, why the first public school system was created? here in America. It was 1647, actually. One of the very first laws was passed, and this is how important it was to the people who founded America, one of the very first laws. It was called Old Deluder Satan's Act. Yeah. This law came about because most of the world at this time was illiterate, and early settlers thought it of utmost importance to train our children to read so they could read and interpret the Bible for themselves. This law says, it being one chief project of that old deluder, Satan, to keep men from the knowledge of the scriptures as in former times by keeping them in an unknown tongue. This goes on. You can look up that act, but it is very clear that they created grammar school to teach them about God. Because their main concern was that Satan's main objective is to keep our kids from knowing the word of God. So their argument was, if our kids cannot read, then they'll never know what the Bible says. And they created the first public school system, a system that now says that God was never intended to be in it. That's ridiculous to me. Like, you can't even teach creationism as a theory, much less Christianity. That's wild how far we've come. Because the very first textbook was created in 1690, and it was called the New England Primer. And it was used from 1690 all the way through the 1930s, believe it or not. And this is amazing because this is a first grade level textbook. This is what the first graders were learning. So the first thing you learned was the alphabet, and you learned how letters sounded. But the very next thing was an alphabet. You had pictures of descriptions to, uh, to describe those letters. So if you can see this image, 
I don't know if you can read that or not, but it says, Letter A, in Adam's fall we send all. Letter B, heaven's earth, or heaven's to find the Bible mind. Letter C, Christ crucified for sinners die. This is what they were teaching first graders, the very first thing they taught them. And after this, there was a third alphabet that had like alphabetic lessons for youth. And all it was was Bible verses. Again, I don't know if you can read that up there, but it says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is heaviness of his mother. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. See, come unto Christ, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Mm. So the only reason we sent our kids to school was so they could understand and learn the Bible. That is amazing. And at the end of this first grade, again, first grade book, there was what's known as the Shorter Catechism. And if you don't know what that is, the Catechism is the summary of the principles of Christian religion in the form of questions and answers used for the instruction of Christians. So, and first graders were required to know these answers to the Shorter Catechism, a total of 107 questions about Christianity. Take a look at that. Again, I don't know if you can read these. Question 86 says, what is faith in Jesus Christ? 87 says, what is repentance unto life? Right? You can go look up all these online. Uh, I couldn't find pictures of everything, but they still have the questions. Like question 36 is, what are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? Can you imagine asking a first grader that now? Like, But they had to know this. They had to know it because... Back then, there was no, no child left behind. I mean, if you, you had to pass this before you went on. So, I don't know, that's just wild to me. So, pub, yeah, public school systems were teaching deep theological truths to first graders. The very first university in America that lasted was Harvard. And it was named after Reverend John Harvard, but it was a group of ministers that founded it in 1636. Do you know what it was? It was a seminary school. They trained ministers. Then you had a. Then there was some more. There was Princeton. Was formed. Was uh, created by a Reverend, and you know it was pastors. They realized our need to know more about theology, and every single school that has started at this point was a seminary school or a Bible college. Every university. Think about how in contrast that is today. That's wild. By 1860, there were 240 colleges in America, and only 17 were not denominationally affiliated. And it was this, we kind of had this belief of Christianity all the way up until like 1962, because that's when the Supreme Court said it is now unconstitutional to prayer in school, to pray in school, uh, public, public prayer in school, I guess I should say. But this would have come as a total surprise to our founding fathers because they were raised doing this in school. Uh, so Satan has infiltrated America like one institution at a time. And it's why I feel like God is calling us back to our roots, where we came from. Because this is why America has had so much success. Because as a whole, we were devoted to God. And that is why America has so far stood the test of time. Now, our history of America isn't perfect, of course. I mean, we made mistakes because we're made up out of people. But we were founded on the principles of God. Did you know that out of the 5,500 years of recorded history, the average constitution lasts 17 years. Most countries 
have a revolution every few decades of some sort. And yet our Constitution has lasted 233 years, and our Declaration was signed nearly 244 years ago. We only make up 4% of the world's population. That's it. Yet we produce more medical advances, technology, music. We do so much more than the other 96% combined. We produce 25% of the world's gross domestic product because of our free market, which is biblical also, by the way. There is a reason we have been blessed by God, but our nation as a whole has been turning away from the things that brought blessing in the first place. I believe it's important to know where we came from so we can see why we have been blessed, and that way we know how to get back underneath that blessing. Because this, this barely scratches the surface of our deep roots in Christianity. It is so just, just there. But it's all I had time to say for today until I brought us up until current times. This is, I'm talking about today now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I, obviously I skipped a whole lot of periods of time there, right? There's just, it's impossible to talk about all that. But, but we just got done talking about the founding of America, and we all know that freedom is a core belief of our country. Freedom of a religion allows us to practice anything we choose, which is wonderful because God wants us to be willing followers. Freedom is also great because it means I can stand up here and talk to you, and it means you have to agree with everything I say, right? <laughs> no, you have, the, you have the freedom to disagree. You have the freedom to tune out. You have the freedom to click off this video if you're watching this online. But I would greatly appreciate just a few more minutes of your valuable time, because this brings me to uh, Dr. Lance Wallnow. And this is a man who prophesied the election of President Trump, and he said that God had been speaking to him about the 45th president of the United States being like King Cyrus of the Persians in Isaiah 45. The earliest I can find him talking about this was, was uh, like towards the end of 2015. So this one, Trump wasn't even being taken seriously. This man got this word from God, and he wrote a book about this right before the election, right when they said Trump was not going to get elected, uh, there's no way he can be elected. He wrote a book talking about how Trump was God's chaos candidate. So that's the only reason I think that we should listen to what he says, because his prophecies have shown to have come true. And so I think it's wise of us to pay attention to what he has said, because everyone thought he was nuts. The media portrayed him as a loon because, you know, like, well, he's not going to be president, much less Cyrus, King Cyrus. Like, that's a crazy thing to say. But because I, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I can remember when he became the Republican nominee. And I just thought, wow, we have so many Christian politicians uh, that we could have chose. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, uh, I remember when Pastor Kate was talking about a few weeks back about how how God's people who are listening to the Holy Spirit are going to be filled with like this new love for our president. Not, I mean, that's not condoning like everything he says and does. It's just, it's being in love, loving the person who is guiding our country, okay? But I believe God is showing us the purpose of Trump's presidency because I thought the only way we could get our country back on track was voting in these Christian politicians. Like I thought that's how we were going to do it. Vote in these, these what we could consider godly men. But now I do truly believe that Trump has a vital part to play in America. So now, now if you're saying, I don't believe it, God can never use Trump. I'm just, I know there's people out there that think that, but just remember that God even used Pharaoh to display his mighty power, okay? So even if you have that viewpoint, I encourage you, please just hang in with me. 
Because this is what Isaiah 45 says. It says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. This was prophesied 210 years before King Cyrus, okay? So King Cyrus comes, he conquers Babylon, and at this time the Israelites were still in Babylonian captivity. But God had spoke that King Cyrus would free them. A secular king, by the way. This isn't like a God-called anointed king. This is a secular king. And let's look at what happened. This is in Second Chronicles. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Amazing, because not only did he free those people, he said, go rebuild your temple. Like he gave them all the gold and silver and all the plates that that Nebuchadnezzar and everyone had, had taken when they were first attacked he gave all that back he said go rebuild that temple now let's just look at trump compared to cyrus both would be what we call secular leaders they're i mean neither neither one of these men are ministers of god nobody could argue that i mean but they both have a love and a respect for god and lance made this comparison in 2015 again remember but when it really became obvious was when trump was starting to do more for god's kingdom Remember, we're just talking about God's kingdom than the presidents before him. He declared an end to the attack on Judeo-Christian values. Mind you that if there was a Christian president in there and they said that, they would have been attacked like crazy, way more than he was because he's a secular guy saying this. And then he was the only president who would name Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and ordered that the planning of the relocation of the U.S. Embassy. And it was at this very specific time when he did this that the prime minister of Israel said Trump was like Cyrus. He said that he is like a a modern-day Cyrus, basically, because of what he did. And that's when people started saying, well, maybe Lance isn't a nut after all. Then Trump goes on to try and repeal the Johnson Amendment. And if you don't know what that is, it is a provision in the U.S. tax code added in 1954 by President L.B. Johnson. It has effectively censored all nonprofit organizations and their leaders with threat of an IRS investigation, fines, or loss of tax-exempt status if they choose to discuss political events. It has silenced the church to speak on politics. Remember, this was in uh, what 1954. So before that, you could say you, you could preach this from the pulpit, and it, it seems normal that to not talk about it now because we haven't seen it. Most of us haven't seen this in our lifetime. But the church used to be able to share who they thought would be the best candidates. And churchgoers wanted to hear what the pastor had to say because they respected his opinion on who they thought would lead the country in the right direction. But that was all changed in 1954. And there have actually been churches that on purpose violated the Johnson Amendment. They've been doing it for a few years now because they were hoping they would be taken to court. They wanted to be taken to court because it is so unconstitutional. And nobody would take them to court because they knew they, if they did, they would lose, and then the Johnson Amendment would be repealed. 
Well, Trump wasn't able to get this totally repealed either, either, but he did sign an executive order that essentially says, look, we're not going to come in for you, okay? You can speak out. But that being said, if I don't show up here next week, y'all better check on me, okay? <laughs> so, so if Trump is like Cyrus, it would be wise if we read what happened after the Jews went back home, right? In the book of Ezra, we learn that the Jews were discouraged by the people, people of the land. So they stopped the construction of the temple that they were, went back to, to, to build. And then two prophets begin to prophesy. That is Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai 1, 3-5 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. If you read through Haggai, you learn that the people were wrapped up in their own plans. They're wrapped up in their own lives, and they were doing their own thing. But God was saying, you have forgotten my temple. Like you were, I freed you from Babylonian captivity to come rebuild my temple. Where's my house? It is this time, and it is time for you to focus on my plan. And God actually brought economic disaster upon them as a way to like motivate them and encourage them to finish his temple as a way of refocusing them on himself. So if we look at America today, it almost sounds kind of similar, doesn't it? I mean, thankfully, we don't relate to God through the law anymore. So I do not, I know he did not bring COVID. I know that was not from him. And I know he doesn't bring the resulting economic crashes. But there are so many parallels between these two stories. I just think it would be wise if we take note, because we can use biblical history to make the right choices today. That's why I believe God is saying, you have neglected the nation too long. We've been focused on ourselves as individuals, and as the church, that we let God's plan for America as a nation become like the unfinished temple. And I believe just like Haggai, he wants to encourage us to finish his work, the work that he started here many years ago. So you might ask, so what can we do? You need to stay informed. Don't blindly believe what you're told on the news, on social media, or the internet in general. Don't blindly believe what you hear me say up here. Don't blindly believe what you hear Pastor Cade says. That's part of our problem as a whole. We just, we're so emotional. We latch on to very certain things that we hear without even knowing if it's true yet or not. So we need a generation of truth seekers. We need to be like the, the bearings in the book of Acts. Acts 17.10 says, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded. That means they were impartial. They were honest than those in Thessalonica. And that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. I encourage you, to search the scriptures for truth and also just read up on our Christian, our Christian heritage because I believe God is raising a remnant up all over the U.S. And a remnant describes a people who are faithful to his truth despite opposition, okay? And I believe that no limits is a part of that remnant. All right, I'd like to pray over everybody before we get out of here. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful day. I thank you for the part that you had to play in the founding of America. I thank you that the nations are yours, Father. 
I thank you that you are speaking to your people as you raise up a remnant all over the U.S. to bring this country back into just peace and love, Father. I thank you that you are healing this land. I ask that we just have ears to hear and eyes to see the plans that you have for us and know your next step for us as a country, Father. We love you and we praise you. If you are here today and you haven't accepted Jesus, we don't want you to miss this opportunity to do that. So if you're ready to make him Lord of your life and be a part of this remnant he has left in America, then just repeat after me, God, I realize I need you in my life. So I put my faith in Jesus today. I believe he rose from the dead and paid for my sins. Thank you for eternal life. Amen. Well, thank you so much for using your freedom and choosing to listen to me today. <laughs> I'd be more happy to discuss my viewpoints and share uh, just stuff I've researched with anyone. If, if you want to hit me up after church or on Facebook, or if you have my number, you can call me. Uh, I'd really, I, I like to discuss this type of stuff with people. Send me a message. And don't forget to sign up for small groups because they do kick off today. Amen. Woo! And come see my wife or myself after church. We can help you do that. And don't forget, Gina has a handout for anyone on the hospitality team. Amen. Good job, man. That's awesome. Good word. Well, if you just prayed that prayer uh, to receive Jesus, we want to help you on the journey that's ahead. There is a journey. It's not just like a one and done type of thing. We want to walk with you on the plans that God has for you. But we can't help you if we don't know. So we just need you to text the word Jesus to 918-373-9883, and we will help you. Or you can just send us a message anywhere on Facebook, through our website, however you want to send us a message. And you guys... You may remember a month ago when I told you that we were sending an extra $2,000 to Mexico to provide for 200 families who were impacted by the coronavirus there in Mexico. And I recently received an update from Ben, who is the leader there in Mexico, and I wanted to share one of his stories with you because it LOL'd me, made me laugh out loud. They were heading out to deliver the supplies to families in Jerez, and while they were out, they got a flat tire because they have a, a van that's in pretty rough shape. Um, it took them about an hour to get help, so they were just sitting on the side of the road, only to find out that the tire was unrepairable. Dang it. Not only that, but the spare they had on board was no good either. Bad, bad, bad news, right? But get this, they were able to give supplies because they had those supply bags in the van with them. So they gave supplies to the mechanic and his family, and his kids were so excited because they got a little Hot Wheel and they got some bubbles, and man, it just like lit up their day. So they were able to leave this family with a tremendous amount of joy, and the mechanic didn't even charge them to fix the tire in the end of that. So God takes what the enemy meant for evil, and he turns it for good. That's so good, and he's, he's going to do that every single time. So if, if something bad's happening in your life, I want you to exercise your faith and say, God's going to take this evil, and he's going to turn it for good. I know he can. I've seen him do it a hundred times. He's going to do it in my life, too. So no matter what it looks like, no matter what's going on around you, you got to trust God for good. If you want that good to happen, you got to trust him. you got to step out in faith. We can all do that. So let's just extend our faith and trust God. And what he said is true, because that's found in his word. Now, we're all a part of what happens in Mexico through our giving. Did you know that? Every single person in this room. So 
Your generosity is what makes it all possible. If you want to give today, uh, you can do that on our website. Nolimits.fyi is where you head. Tap the giving button. Or if you're here, you want to give the old-fashioned way with a cash or a check. Just raise your hand. One of our awesome ushers will bring you an envelope. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.